Hello and welcome to another episode of Author Conversations presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster, and today we are talking with two of the three authors of Atlanta's Olympic Resurgence, Michael Dobbins and Randall Rourke, and we will explain why in a moment. The summer of 1996. In 19 days, 6 million visitors jostled about in a southern city grappling with white flight, urban decay, and stifling legacy of Jim Crow. Now, six years earlier, a bold, audacious partnership of a strong mayor, enlightened business leaders, and Atlanta's black political leadership dared to bid on hosting the 1996 Olympic Games, and unexpectedly, the city won, an achievement that ignited a loose but robust coalition that worked collectively, if sometimes contentiously, to prepare the city and push it forward. This is a story of how a once-struggling city of Atlanta leveraged the benefits of the Centennial Games to become a city of international prominence. The improbable rise from the ashes is told by three urban planning professionals who were at the center of this story. Michael and Randy, thanks for being on. Thank you. Happy to be here. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. And before we start, we are missing an important part of our story, and that's Leon Applin, and I hope I'm saying his last name right. I've said it a couple times uh, this yeah. week. Uh, would the two of you mind sharing a bit about Leon before we start talking about the book itself? Not at all, and I'll start, Mike, if it's okay, because um, I met Leon in 1972 uh, when he reviewed the plan I was doing, and we had an enormous argument that day over the plan, and we became fast friends ever since and colleagues and even started a firm together in the 70s. And I worked with him off and on when he was commissioner under both terms of the Jackson administration. So been he's been a close friend and a colleague for 50 years, and it is a great personal loss. Uh, but he, he worked hard. He pushed us hard on this book. Uh, and it is to his credit that we are sitting here today, I think, with a, with a book in hand. For my part... Uh... My interaction with Leon was very, very, the first interaction was very, very brief where he was doing consulting work in Birmingham where I was a planning director. And he was trying to argue on behalf of his client that a parking lot was the highest and best use for the land surrounded by the University of Alabama Birmingham Medical Center. And we disagreed, <laughs> to say the least. And then and then I supplanted him in 1996, years later, and uh, I was just, he, I think he was happy to have somebody coming into that administration that actually had some planning creds. But most importantly, he was very, very gracious, and we spent a whole lot of time getting me oriented to the city, and there's nobody in the world better for doing that than Leon. And uh, so we had a good uh, back and forth relationship over the whole my tenure, both uh, at at uh, as the commissioner succeeding him in, in Atlanta, and running up uh, really all the way till last week, I guess. And it is a big loss. On the other hand, he had a very very full and very productive and contributive life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, sorry, go ahead. He's a native of Atlanta. He was born in Atlanta. And and a, a real contributor. He loved the city. And one of the main uh, phrases in the obituary was uh, referred to his infectious optimism. And even though his pro professional skills were exceptional, 
the optimism itself carried a long way and did infect almost everybody he was around. And I think everybody uh, felt it and profited from it. Well, and I think it's worth noting, too, that he played a very prominent and significant role in sort of institutionalizing planning nationally as as a thing to do. He was a co-founder of what used to be the uh, American Institute of Planners, and then it turned into what is now, whatever we call it, um, uh, American Planning Association, American Institute of Certified Planners. So his his role was not just Atlanta; it was national. Yeah, you know, it's crazy a little bit too because you're. I'm kind of jumping ahead of where I was wanting to start at. But kind of jumping ahead to the Twin Peaks plan here, actually. But it kind of goes along with what you're saying about Leon, because if you think about his age, because he lived into his 90s, he kind of lived through a lot of Phoenix moments in the city's history, gentlemen, because he was born, and there's still Civil War memories alive when he's born from that first Phoenix Rising. Um, Absolutely. There's going to be, he's going to see the city go through the Great Depression. He's going to be around during that time. World War II, civil rights era, and different economic upturns, downturns, and he's going to be a, play a big role we're going to talk about um, that all of y'all have um, with what happens with the Olympics and the plan for the city after the Olympics. So that plan for Atlanta, those Phoenix moments for the city of Atlanta, he saw a lot of those. Yes, but one of those Phoenix moments really came with the first uh, Maynard Jackson administration in 1973, yeah. which itself was a monumental change for the city, shifting to black political leadership with the new city charter, he brought Leon in as commissioner of planning. And Leon had a great deal of influence on Mayor Jackson and on City Hall in general, and is credited, of course, with uh, instituting the neighborhood planning unit program, which is, which is still there and which many cities have emulated since that time so that was a that was a big phoenix moment as well so he's on the front lines he's not he's not just witnessing or being nearby near it or knowing people with it in reference to a time period that he didn't actually get to or live in with the civil war but he actually is on the front line of moments too yes that's right that's correct wow what a life it sounds like from what i understand from talking to his son harlan and, and getting to know the two of you it was a life well lived and that's not something you can always say about every. Sometimes you say that just to be nice, obviously. We say that sometimes about people, but it sounds like you can actually wholeheartedly say it about this man. Correct. Yep. Awesome. Uh, awesome life. All right. So, right now on my computer, um, I'm looking at photos of Olympic sites that have been left abandoned to nature in other host cities. And right now, Athens is on my screen. And it was eight years after Atlanta. And I'm not trying to trash other host cities, but rather introducing and complimenting the vision of Atlanta's mayors and people who were involved in it, such as yourselves with the Olympics and what would happen thereafter, which is really what the book is about, when he decided to go for the Olympics, when he got on board with this idea. Um, And we're going to talk about the Twin Peaks approach. But first, um, talk to us about what Atlanta was like before the Games if you will. Whoever wants to go first, jump on in. Sure. Well, I think the book makes pretty clear that Atlanta hit kind of a nadir around 1990 with 
a lot of disinvestment and, and flight to the suburbs. And uh, by then, even with the construction of the rapid transit system, a lot of downtown was abandoned, vacant lots, parking lots. And there were some development enclaves here and there that were big investments by the business community. But downtown overall was not in great shape. And the, and the, the, the city of Atlanta within the region was, was really um, had lost uh, a, a lot of tax base and, and the poverty level had, had dropped. So it was not in great shape, which is, makes it ironic that the city would score the Olympic Games at that same moment mm-hmm. and really propelled the idea of the Twin Peaks forward because we had both the games to produce and, and the city to uh, to try to deal with and and use the games to leverage the city to to make uh, substantial improvements. Yeah, I think uh, another sort of key metric is that the city had a population of 500,000 in 1965, and it had dropped under 400,000 by 1990. So it was a big uh, loss in population. And in fact, I think it's in the book that uh, uh, when uh, uh, Mayor Campbell brought in the Renaissance Policy Group. Uh, McKinsey did some pro bono, or that probably wasn't pro bono consulting. And the nearest city, in terms of sort of overall poverty rate, population loss, and so on, our peer city was Detroit in 1996. And that's when the Renaissance Policy Group started. Uh, Leon didn't participate in that, and, but both Randy and I did. Hmm. In fact, yeah. So, what, so I was going to talk about a little bit later on, but let's go ahead and get into what the Twin Peaks approach was exactly, because it's so important, obviously, to the story of how we got how how when I say we, I, you know, because I was a kid and as a kid, when you hear you're getting the Olympics, and I think I told you this story in an email. My mom was going to drop us off for school that morning, and she pulled over so we didn't have to get out of the car for drop off so we could hear that Atlanta was going to get the games. And that was it for the rest of the day for everybody at school. Cause we were so excited about the fact the Olympics were coming to our state into our state capital. Um, you couldn't get the kids to behave the rest of the day because it was such a big deal. So, um, well, that was a, a surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly a huge event the down underground Atlanta was totally packed and waiting on the, announcement and it was not expected or at least there's a good chance that it would have been another another city so it was a it was a, a major event in and of itself it was a very very exciting uh, day for the city the the twin peaks can really be credited i'd have to say not only to mayor jackson but to leon eplin that the simply there were two peaks to climb one to produce a a substantial and successful Olympic Games, and two to uh, improve the city and and use the Olympics uh, to leverage, as I said before, uh, improvements in the city uh, going forward and help and help deal with some of the problems that we were just talking about. So it really was a, the metaphor was kind of two two peaks to scale at the same time. And that was Maynard Jackson's vision, and that was what he put forward as a program, and that led to uh, Leon as commissioner uh, 
developing the Olympic Development Program, which addressed both both peaks. I just I can't imagine being put in charge. You have to have, and for you, the two of you too, to be able to do this, the drive, the vision that you would have to have, the organizational skills. Um, because sometimes I feel like I'm just doing enough, barely good enough, just holding it together with all the people I have to talk to, <laughs> and having a one-year-old. I can't imagine getting a city ready for the Olympics and then carrying on this vision too, because I don't know if everybody realizes, but so the Olympics come and then also there's a Coca-Cola museum. Atlanta has science museums. Now we have an aquarium. I mean, I credit what happened with the Olympics. And I don't think I'm overstating this here in our state of the art stadiums. We have the success we have with sports, the everything gets drawn to the city of Olymp to, to Atlanta with, um, with the Olympics that came in 1996. I mean, even the new Falcons stadium and the, the soccer stadium that's there now. Um, Atlanta really is a city that draws those kind of things in. The National College Football Hall of Fame is there. The aquarium that's there. Atlanta is a, a big destination city. It's a, vague, it's a place people come to see. Now, I don't remember it being a vacation destination before that. You know, it's uh, it, it, it totally changed the landscape, really. It did, and of course, you know, there were sports venues and convention venues mm -hmm. already downtown, which was a big reason I think uh, Atlanta won the Olympics because it had existing it facilities right, yeah. that it could it could build upon. But it's true; a lot of the things you're mentioning may have developed over a long period of time, but there's no question. But what there was a spike in growth and enthusiasm in the nineties built around the Olympics and some other demographic shifts that, uh, that as Mike uses a metaphor in the book, like dropping a small stone in a pool and it begins to ripple from the center and slowly ripple out over a period of, of time, period of years and begins to infect everything else. Uh, one of the interesting things to me was, we didn't get an enormous amount actually done uh, in the time we had because it's never enough time to totally turn a city around. Uh, but I think there was a signal made that all of a sudden it might be okay to return to the city uh, yeah. after the Olympics. And uh, that was a big, I think that was a big, uh, a big signal and had a lot of influence on what has happened since. Well, I mean, so as a kid, I was still kind of growing up in that in-between stage of where kids are supposed to be seen and not heard when I was growing up. Because, you know, you still outside from the city had kind of that old kind of feeling when I was a kid um, amongst some of the older um, generations. And my grandfather owned a grocery store in Griffin. And so I would remember people talking about it. And I'll just be honest, I remember people saying there's no way that stadium's going to get done. When they were talking about what was, you know, the Olympic Stadium, then Turner Field, and now where Georgia State has their football stadium. There's no way that Olympic um, Village is going to get done. And then when it did get done, people were amazed and they were eating crow. <laughs> you know, they were really surprised that it got done. And then people started talking about, hey, I can't, you know, we're looking forward to going to the new Braves game at Turner Field. I don't know if it's going to be as great as Fulton County was because people had so many memories of Fulton County. But then they were blown away at what Turner Field looked like. And then people started talking about the different places they were going to go to Atlanta. And I remember we started going back up to Atlanta to go to 
uh, Fernbank, the Cobb Galleria was something that, um, you know, I had never heard of before until the, you know, you had the Sacred Art of Russia um, was, uh, was an exhibit that went there. And I remember as a kid, after the, you know, Olympics, we started going to Atlanta more too. So you're absolutely right. As a kid who was hearing adults talk bad or negatively about going to Atlanta, dreading going to Atlanta, not just about the traffic, but kind of being scared to go to Atlanta. There was that switch that happened after the 96 games. Even with, you know, we're not going to get too much into it because we all know the story of what happened, but with the Olympic Park bombing, that didn't even stop that many people from going still to games because there was that spirit of, you know what, it happened, let's keep going. And it completely changed how people outside the area saw the city of Atlanta. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about Mayor Maynard Jackson a little bit more before we go. And I told you guys I'd keep you for maybe 30 minutes. So we still got about eight minutes. I hope I'm doing all right with you guys. Um, But Maynard Jackson, and you describe him aptly, a son of the Civil Rights Movement. Um, For those who are listening who may not know who Mayor Mayor Jackson was, um, could you maybe fill us in a little bit? Maynard Jackson, first of all, of course, had some... (laughs) had a real pedigree from a civil rights perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, his grandfather was uh, uh, John Wesley Dobbs, who was really the unofficial mayor of the Sweet Auburn area and one of the great civil rights leaders early on uh, in the Jim Crow area. And Maynard uh, was a, a brilliant guy. You couldn't miss him, a big guy, sometimes a loud guy who actually got involved. He, he ran for and, and was elected as president of city council uh, in the in the late 60s and early 70s and then ran for mayor in uh, 1973, like we mentioned, and, and created a major shift in southern politics, urban politics at the time by being elected the first black mayor in the South. And he was, he was a strong personality and had very clear ideas and my memory of him is he's a guy that under all circumstances, his motto would have been do right. And he didn't, he was, he was very uncompromising and, and he, he made, I wouldn't say enemies, but he, he butted heads with a lot of people and most often was able to, to forge uh, this kind of new, new city leadership uh, from that point forward. And then of course was reelected in, in 91 during the years leading up to the games uh, uh interestingly coming back to continue uh his agenda after uh mayor andy young filled in the gap in between in, uh, that who also continued the agenda as well i didn't have too much interaction with maynard he was still around still active he had a, a securities uh business that was quite successful um, but I did talk to him enough, and we had enough conversation for me to understand that he understood what planning was, what its value was, what its need was, which he probably had a predilection for that, which often a mayor or a council member does not have. But he certainly got filled up with Leon, both in the first uh, 
couple of terms that he had. And then certainly when he came right back to Leon when it was time, hey, wait a minute, we're going to get these Olympics and we hadn't really planned for it. So we need to <laughs> we need to jump on this and make sure, like, you know, Randy said and what you said, that uh, we we do for the city uh, out of this. We use this as uh, as, a, as a great opportunity. Man, I can't even I can't even imagine if I must have felt like just a huge weight as a huge relief and a joyous moment when you find out that you're going to get the games, but also a big weight probably falls on you at the same time knowing you have to. It was a, it was a scary moment as well. <laughs> Do you, what is it like looking back on this time period? Well, it's interesting, you know, it's 25 years ago now. So uh, we, we were interested, you know, when, when you guys, picked up the book as the history class where he said, well, that's because it's now history. And uh, it's a big part, it's a big chapter in history, and I think the book has filled in the gap in telling uh, the history of the city, not just of the Olympics during that period. And and so it's a time in some ways now long ago, and we talk about the kind of changes that occurred because of it. But what we're also saying here is that the the initiatives that began in terms of uh, collaborative efforts among different sectors of the city and planning efforts among connecting parts of the city are still alive and uh, still a major uh, challenge for the city and an initiative for the city. So part of the book is history and part of it is kind of continuing and bringing forward some of the, some of the things that really uh, happened then, at least from our perspective. It when is. we got together to do this, we weren't thinking of it as a history book. We were thinking of it as a here and now book in our minds. And then actually it took a, a woman in, in Atlanta to turn us on to the history press. And, and, and it sort of hit us. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, it is history, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, that was like 10 years ago. So, Yeah, this has been a 10-year ten ten uh, effort. I was kidding somebody the other day saying it took the city five years to get ready for the Olympics and it's taken us 10 years to do this book. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a lot of information. Though. I mean, a lot of things happen. There's a lot of moving parts and it's uh, it was an exciting time. And then everything that happened afterwards was exciting. Uh, you know, and I live in, I live in Charleston now, but I get back to Atlanta. Uh, I have to. I gotta go see my. Uh, I gotta go see my Crimson Tide play in that new stadium every time they come to town. So, <laughs> you know, roll tide. I gotta put that in there anytime I bring them up. Uh, but it's great, you know. And of course, you know, Lydia, my wife. Um, you know, gotta. I gotta tell you guys this. You know, she, uh, her father went to Georgia Tech, and he taught at Georgia Tech for a while. So, you know, okay. a lot of a lot of connections uh, to Atlanta in our family. So well, that's that's another in that regards. Let, let me just point out, excuse me, Mike, uh, uh, for those who are interested actually in the games themselves, you know, the Atlanta Committee of the Olympic Games put together an official report in a beautifully published three volume set in 1997, just after the games. It's full of data mm -hmm. about the run up to the Olympics and the games and the actual events. So, anybody that wants to follow the, the history of the actual event. Uh, from that perspective and from the Olympic movement perspective, uh, I would recommend uh, uh, going to the official report of the games, which 
I think the Peachtree Publishers published in 1997. One one last thing, too, is that I've had a lot of colleagues, and we've talked among ourselves, the fact that this is a piece of history that has never really been uh, covered uh, comprehensively. And, and, of course, our primary... Uh, primary focus is as public servants uh, mm-hmm. working on behalf of the public. But uh, beyond that, this is an era that is very important for Atlanta and doesn't seem to have been, that's how we sort of got started, doesn't seem to have been covered as a as an era, uh, as a 15-year from the announcement to sort of the winding down of the initiatives that were already in place by 2005. Yeah. So, it's a, it's a very extensive book and it goes into detail and there's you know a lot behind it that i didn't realize i thought it was just we have to get all this you know for the games and i didn't realize it was okay if we're going to go for the games you have to have this in place too and this has to be part of it and it it makes sense it really did it made a lot of sense and i'm grateful it was done that way and i know the two of you are also and it was it's a great book and it's a great look into history and i just appreciate the two of you taking time today to talk to me about it sure happy to do it all right yeah thanks. me too thanks guys thank you thank you and thank you the audience for listening atlanta's olympic resurgence will be available wherever local books are sold beginning may 3rd 2021 and is available now for pre-order on arcadiapublishing.com and I want to thank, as always, Jane and Bill's Unnamed Band Project for the show's theme song. You can find them online on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Jane and Bill's Unnamed Band Project. Thanks, and I'll talk with you again soon.